John 6, beginning at verse 16. This is God's holy and infallible word. When evening came, his disciples went down to the lake where they got into a boat and set off across the lake for Capernaum. By now it was dark and Jesus had not yet joined them. A strong wind was blowing and the waters grew rough. When they had rowed three or three and a half miles, they saw Jesus approaching the boat, walking on the water, and they were terrified. But he said to them, it is I, don't be afraid. And then they were willing to take him into the boat, and immediately the boat reached the shore where they were heading. That's God's word for us this morning, friends. I'm not going to mess around. I'm just going to start the message by telling you what I think these verses are about, and then we're going to talk about it. I believe these verses are about the person of Jesus Christ, and that they are especially about the presence of Jesus. This miracle is tucked in between, as I already said, the feeding of the 5,000 at the front end, and after it, what we're going to get to next is Jesus' significant teaching that he is the bread of life. Why the gospel writers all tell the, roughly the same narrative, of course. Jesus, born, come to this earth, came to live, die, rise again. But they each tell it a little bit in their own way, with their own emphasis. Sometimes they organize the material in different ways. And when that happens, we have to pay special attention. Why is this Jesus walking on the water here? And I think Jesus is telling his disciples in the boat and his followers gathered here at faith this morning I believe he's telling us something about his presence, his presence. You see, in the feeding of the 5,000, he provides enough food for everyone, and that's the miracle. We saw that last week, how Jesus fills the hungry soul. Later on in this chapter, he's going to be saying, not only do I provide bread to feed you, But, in fact, I am the bread of life. In other words, it's not about what I give you, he's going to be saying. It's about me, myself, my presence. This miracle on the water transitions us to that statement by showing us the importance of Jesus' presence in a special way. And we see, first of all, that nothing can separate us from his presence. The disciples and Jesus had parted ways after the feeding of the 5,000. Jesus had gone off to be alone, and the disciples went to cross the lake, we read. And that was the Sea of Galilee. It's called the sea because it's so big. It's really a lake. And the Sea of Galilee comes up quite often in, in the Gospels. It was one big lake. 13 miles long and 8 miles wide. Just to picture that, that would be, if we kind of take the tri-state 294 at the center, that would be from, along the tri-state from O'Hare, 
down to Ogden Avenue lengthwise, and it would stretch widthwise along Roosevelt from uh, in Villa Park where that new Sonic is, you know, that $3 car wash, all the way to First Avenue where Loyola Hospital is. So crazy large. Nothing like Lake Michigan, but still one huge lake. It's the lowest freshwater lake on the planet, more than 600 feet below sea level. Around the Sea of Galilee, hills rise up dramatically to very quickly get 2,000 feet above sea level. And so what that creates is a natural wind tunnel. Gales blow off the Mediterranean Sea through the mountains, through this wind tunnel, and they stir up the lake very, very quickly sometimes. And that's what happened. It was a dark, it was dark out. There was a strong wind blowing. The waters grew rough. And a key, Jesus had not yet joined them. Jesus wasn't with them. They were several miles at least from shore in a storm. John purposefully uses symbolism all over the place in his gospel. And I don't think it would be a stretch at all to take this real physical storm and compare it to what we refer to as storms of our life. Storms that can swirl within us, our own troubled minds and emotions sometimes, our wrestlings with sin and how we fail God and others, storms that come at us from the outside, whether it's from outside circumstances or people. Sometimes in those situations, we can feel that God is not with us. Have you ever felt that? Felt even abandoned by God in the midst of a trial? But he has not, of course. He knows where we are. He knows our need. He's ready to swoop in just when we need him. Sometimes we think we need some sort of action on his part sooner than we do. But he is vigilant. He knows and he swoops in when we need him. Jesus meets the disciples here in a dramatic way. He walks out on the water. They had seen him do some pretty amazing things, but they apparently weren't expecting this at all. They freak out when they see him walking on the water. They were terrified. The reality is that Jesus will do anything to meet his children who are in the storm. He'll go so far as to walk on the water if that's what it takes to reach you and to be with you. The storm and the walking on the water is symbolic too when you look at water and God's work in the Bible. Water often symbolizes chaos and darkness and separation from God. But we're shown time and again, that God controls the waters. God is in charge of the chaos. In Genesis 1-2, we read that the earth was formless and empty, 
and darkness was over the surface of the deep waters. But the Spirit of God is there, and God steps in, and we're told that in six days, he organized that chaos to create the world as we know it. You remember from last week that the events happening now happened at the time of the Passover. Chapter 6, verse 4 tells us that. The Passover was about God's salvation of his people in the Old Testament. Right linked up with the Passover always, because it happens right afterwards, is the crossing of the Red Sea. At the Red Sea, God parts the waters to save his people. And here, it's almost like it's more amazing. Jesus doesn't have to part the waters he can just go right over top of them. Why did God part the waters of the Red Sea? Why does Jesus walk on the water? Well, it's to save his people. Our God does whatever it takes to save his people. It would ultimately take going to the cross, and Jesus would go He would let nothing separate his people from him. Not the storms of life that rage without or the storms of life raging within, not our sin. He would do anything to do the ultimate, lay down his life. He entered the ultimate storm, death itself, so we wouldn't have to. He went under the waters of the grave so that the grave does not have the last word for you and me. And then he came out. He was revived and resurrected on Easter. He ascended into heaven to rule over all things from there. And on Pentecost, he sent his spirit, his special presence, so that he would be with us always, even to the ends of the earth. All of this so that we, his people, you and I, would never be separated from his presence. The promises of God at baptism, even for Gabriella this morning, are more than anything else that Jesus will be present with her. This special promise given to this baby, to this family, it's symbolized with water. And water is so important in so many of the high points of the history of salvation in the Bible, from creation to the Red Sea crossing to Jesus walking on water here. The water of baptism is about cleansing that Jesus brings, and it's about the very presence of Jesus for all who belong to him. We see that it's his presence that calms the storm and makes the terror go away. And I believe that's especially what John wants us to see. In case there was any misunderstanding, it's about Jesus. Just his presence, not what he gives us, like the bread to fill their bellies earlier in the chapter. Jesus calms the storm That's true, that's what happens, but that's not emphasized at all in our miracle. 
He shows his power over nature, but that's not the focus. There's nothing here about peace be still. There's no words of Jesus to nature. We're not even told that the storm was calm. So this isn't about, look how powerful Jesus is over nature, though he is. But that is not what John wants us to see especially. The focus is on Jesus himself. That's what John is telling us we need. That's when peace comes. That's when fears go away. That's when storms within us and without us, out from us, calm. When Jesus is with us. He says, it is I. Another way to say that same phrase is to translate it with I am. Or I am who I am. And it's one of those phrases in the Gospels that made the religious leaders of the day really, really angry. One time he said this same phrase, it's ego eimi, if you're interested. That's what's translated as I. But he said that once, often translated I am who I am, and they picked up stones to kill him and hurl at him. Why is that? It's because this phrase is only used for God. In Exodus 3, at the burning bush, Moses asked God who he is. God says this, I am who I am. And that conveys who, that he was, he is, he always will be. It's a very special way of saying in an ultimate way that he is God. Jesus says it of himself in the Gospels. And he says it to these terrified disciples. It is I. Do not be afraid. I am God coming here to you. I, Jesus, am the same one who created all things. I am the same one who organized the chaos at the beginning of time. I, Jesus, am the one who rescued his people from Egypt by parting the waters of the sea. I am the stiller of storms. I am the one who quiets the waters. I am the Savior, and I am with you. And when you have me, Jesus, you have the very presence of God, because I am God. And that means that it's all going to be okay. And everything is okay when Jesus arrives on the scene. After he gets on the boat, another miracle actually happens. Did you catch that? Walking on the water, Jesus walking on the water happens in Matthew and Mark and John. But only John tells us about the second miracle. He gets in the boat. They were miles from shore immediately the boat reached the shore where they were heading. That's another miracle right there. It's amazing. Just his presence is enough, friends. That's what I believe John is telling us. It's all you need. It's everything that you need to reach your haven of rest to. 
whether you need to reach peace on the other side of a current storm or whether we're talking about your ultimate rest when the Lord calls you home. Jesus can and does provide us with stuff, things. And we thank him for all he provides. We need stuff like food on the table. We need money. We need a roof over our heads. We need relative health to function in this life. But that stuff we so often focus on and thank him for, and rightly so, it's not ultimately about any of that. It's about him. It's about his presence. That's why he came. It's not, and i got to clarify, because I think when I say presence, I think there are some little children that, and I'm trying to think, there's, like, Sophia will often pray, we thank you for your presence. I think she's talking about gifts, which is good. But presence, I think you understand, I'm not talking about gifts. It's not his good gifts. It's not those gifts that make everything all right in life. Our relative comfort, cool air in the summer. It's he himself, the gift of God. Our focus as believers is on the gift, on him, not the gifts. The presence, not the presence, if you understand what I'm saying. It's maybe a little bit how I feel with Sarah, my wife. Like anybody, we've had some challenges in life. Through all of them over the years, I appreciate her and I love her more than ever. She has been such a steady and supportive presence in my life. didn't intend to be emotional here. She went a couple of weeks ago for three days to Michigan with three of our girls to visit her sister Carrie, who just had her third baby. I think she mentioned as a prayer request a praise last night in church during our prayer time. Um, Carrie and Tim had their third baby, a girl, Annika Joy. I'm so glad that she could go, and I encouraged her to go. But as some of you might know, there are certain things that I can worry about in life. And I know, I know the Bible, I know what Matthew 6 says, but I still worry. And at least one time in those days that we were apart, I let my mind go too far. And I'm sure all, some of you have this too sometimes. I pictured her getting in an accident, I thought about her not being with me anymore, and I couldn't imagine how I'd be able to go on through everything from very rough rough patches of life to just the day-to-day challenges of family life and child raising and work in a church. She's the one who gives me the support. And then when I think about all that, I reflect on all of the support and love and care that I have received over the years of my life. I think of amazing parents and parents-in-law, grandparents, my two sisters, my brother, friends, so many of you here at Faith Church. 
God has just blessed me so much with so much encouragement and support, so much more than I ever have deserved. But above all of those people, Sarah stands out. She is the steady, sure presence. She provides things for me concretely, yeah, but it's more about her, just her, Sarah's presence. There's one thing I learned is if Sarah is in the boat with me, it's going to be okay. We're going to move forward. And of course, a big goal in my life is that I try to be the same steady, supportive presence for her in her life. And I think ideally that's what we want all of our marriages to be and have if God has given us a spouse, if we're married. Come what may, we're going to be in the boat together and we're going to make it. So that's my best earthly example of this, Sarah's presence. And then I try to think about what God's word is showing us here. We're talking about Jesus, the divine one, the one who says it is I and means I am who I am. Jesus, our Lord and our God, who is the creator The word at the beginning, the one who parted the Red Sea, who walks over water, who went to the grave to reach and save his frightened people. How much more can he, fully God, provide if our special loved ones can provide and touch us as they do? It's beyond our understanding as God the great I am, his power is limitless, and so is the extent of his love and care. It's more than any human being can ever provide. Something else sad to think about when you let your mind go wandering, or when I let my mind go wandering, is that at some point in the future, Sarah is not going to be in the boat with me anymore. When the Lord brings me to the end of my life and says, Greg, it's time to go ashore, Sarah can't go with me. Each one of us is going to have to face that day. No friend or family member or spouse will be able to make that journey with you. But you know what? Jesus can. And he will. He'll hold your hand. He will guide you safely through even beyond the grave. That is the extent and the power of his presence. He'll see you through every storm in this life, and he will even bring you to that ultimate shore in glory. The miracle is about the miracle of Jesus himself, his presence the one who walks over the water to reach us in the storm. How's your relationship with him? Have you talked with him lately? Are you enjoying his presence? It's about him. I think of the Perez family raising their children, two of them now, Jay and Gabriella. I think of all our households here, married, with kids, single, widows, widowers, 
Think of all our households. What is our main focus? What are we leading our loved ones to value above all else? What or who will be our only sure guide through the storm, through the gale, through the sunny, fair days too? Jesus. And when he is with us and we are with him, it will all be well. May you, friends, know the miraculous presence of Jesus in your life. May we be a church filled with people who live in his presence and experience his presence. And out of his presence, may God make us to be the people he wants us to be. Amen.